You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Distinctives Part 2. Hello my radio friends, welcome to today's Give Me the Bible program. Last time I shared with you some of the distinctive beliefs of Seventh-day Adventists. Some of those beliefs are shared with some other Protestant groups. There is a trend in this day and age within religious circles to downplay the importance of distinct doctrine. This was expressed by Tony Palmer, the envoy of Pope Francis during an address given to a large gathering of Pentecostal leaders in the United States. Palmer was speaking about unity that Protestants and Catholics could become a mighty united force if they put aside their differences. He said, Don't worry about doctrine. We'll sort that out when we get up there, pointing to heaven. What he really meant was that Protestants should give up their distinctive beliefs and accept the authority and dogma of the Catholic Church and come home to Rome. But you know, unity for unity's sake is not good enough. I believe the modern trend is to put aside all kinds of differences, excusing obvious differences, for the common good. And we've seen that happening already with the fairly recently enacted laws condoning same-sex marriage and laws to do with the LGBTQI movement. For the common good is an admirable outcome, but often it clashes with what God requires, namely obedience. So what should a true Christian do when there is a conflict between a movement of unity for the common good and what God has to say. The Apostle Peter and the other apostles standing before the top Jewish hierarchy, the Sanhedrin pronounced a principle that governed their behaviour and should govern our behaviour. We must obey God rather than men, and that's found in Acts 5, verse 29. For that reason, then, Seventh-day Adventists passionately defend their beliefs because those beliefs are principles and understanding of truth as revealed in the Bible, God's Word. Currently, in some areas, and most probably in a worldwide sense, in the future, Seventh-day Adventists are likely to suffer persecution for refusing to surrender their distinctive beliefs for the sake of being part of the crowd. Seventh-day Adventists are aware of the words of Jesus found in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, where he said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. According to the words of Jesus, it's okay to be part of the minority. Again, 
according to what Jesus said in Luke 18.8, at the end of the world, the people who he will take home with him to heaven will be a decided minority. His actual words were, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It's comfortable to be part of the majority where popular opinion prevails, but it's far more important to be right with God, to be faithful and obedient. Seventh-day Adventists, unlike many other Protestant groups, are aware of the meaning of the Old Testament sanctuary services. By understanding the Old Testament services and sacrifices, opens up a much greater understanding of the sacrifice of Christ for the remission of our sins. To read Leviticus is not exciting reading, but it helps in our overall biblical understanding. The services of the priests for the Israelites centred around offerings. One of these was what was called the grain offering. It consisted of actual grain or bread or cakes made of grain being offered to God and burnt as an act of worship and thankfulness for God's goodness and providing for the people's needs. Another offering was what was called the burnt offering. It consisted of a young bull, ram or even pigeon if the person was poor. It was completely burnt and was offered in the case of unintentional sin. The offering was also an act of worship, of commitment and surrender to God. This offering was similar to what was called the fellowship offering, involving the destruction of an animal or bread belonging to the supplicant. A variation of that offering was the guilt offering, and was made when the supplicant had committed unintentional sin and required restitution and cleansing. But probably the best known and having the most meaning to Christians was the sin offering. This sacrificial offering was full of symbolism that pointed forward to Christ. The supplicant was required to bring from his own flock of animals especially a male lamb without defect. There were other animals involved, but I want to simplify the process for you. The supplicant brought the lamb to the priest in the outer court of the temple. Then, under the supervision of the priest, laid one of his hands on the lamb's head, symbolically transferring his sins to the lamb. With his other hand he took a knife, and slit the lamb's throat, causing it to bleed to death. At that point, his sins were conditionally forgiven. This sacrifice cost plenty. It cost the repentant sinner the best of the animals in his flock, and it cost the animal its life. When Jesus approached John the Baptist to be baptised in the Jordan River, John saw him coming and proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's found in John one twenty nine. Why did he call Jesus a lamb? 
Well, John recognised that the Old Testament temple services had meaning and pointed forward to when Jesus came to sacrifice himself for the sins of the people. The book of Hebrews was written so the Jewish people could understand that the religious ceremonies they had been doing for centuries all pointed toward Jesus. Hebrews 9 is about the application of those formalities, and in verse 22 is a statement about the pivotal issue. It says, Without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins, meaning there cannot be any forgiveness without Jesus' death. As in the ceremonies outlined in the Old Testament, it cost God much to redeem us, from our sins. And please don't get the idea that Seventh-day Adventists are hung up on those ancient sanctuary services in the temple. No, that's not the case. But a simple understanding of it enriches the understanding of what Jesus' sacrifice meant and makes it more personal. I just want to deviate a little here. If you know something about the way some Protestant groups misinterpret the 70th week of the vision given to the prophet Daniel about the 70th week prophecy, you may have heard this kind of explanation. They say that the cut-off 70th week commences with the secret rapture. Then some powerful individual makes a pact with the Jews and offers to fund and build a new temple in Jerusalem. Then, they say, three and a half years later, there's a big fallout and this individual becomes their enemy, whom they call the Antichrist. The ensuing three and a half years is a time of persecution. Then Jesus comes in person and sets up his kingdom on earth. But I don't believe this stuff. But I do want to ask you a question. If a temple was to be built for the Jews, what would it be used for? Would they start doing animal sacrifices again? If so, that would be totally pointless, because the sacrifice Jesus made for humanity was all-sufficing. In fact, it would be an insult to God. But I'll read verses 25 and 27 from Hebrews 9 to help you understand better. It says, Therefore he, that's Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to make intercession for them. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. In Colossians 2 verse 14, where the Bible talks about the law being done away with, that's cancelled at the cross, it refers to the ceremonial law regarding sin offerings, etc. It was cancelled because it was no longer necessary The moral law remained unaltered. A further distinctive with Seventh-day Adventists is in the field of health. Seventh-day Adventists are usually health and lifestyle conscious. 
Many, like me, are vegetarians and abstain from harmful habits and harmful substances such as drugs, alcohol, tobacco and even tea and coffee. It's recognised that what goes into the body is not a salvation issue. But there is a biblical injunction to take care of our bodies. The first is in recognition of the great expense God undertook to save us. This injunction is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, and it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. This text is saying, Because God made such a huge investment for you and values you highly, you need to honour him to show your appreciation and gratitude. The second biblical injunction is found in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, So, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. To be unhealthy or addicted to harmful substances or dependent on others is not to the glory of God. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards. There was a young man who had the best of everything. He was the firstborn of a wealthy man. But he was not satisfied with the best of everything. So he took his possessions in his hand. He traveled far and wide and he tasted worldly pleasure. But deep inside, was lonely without measure He wound up in a pig pen nearly dead He raised his eyes toward heaven and he said I will arise and go back to my father's house I will beg him to forgive me for the fool I've been I will arise and go back to my father's house I would gladly be a servant if you'll take me back again. Billy Joe Walker Jr. Now here comes Wayne, Joe, Richard, Steve, our buddies, the old bridge ball. I was a young man who had the best of everything. I was the firstborn of a hardworking man. But I was not satisfied with the best of everything So I took my possessions in my hand I traveled far and wide and I tasted worldly pleasure But deep inside I was lonely without measure I wound up in Las Vegas nearly dead I raised my eyes toward heaven I will arise and go back to my father's house I will beg him to forgive me for the fool I've been 
To be unhealthy or addicted to harmful substances or dependent on others is not to the glory of God. And there are some things that affect health, like hereditary or environmental factors, over which we have no control. But where we do have control, according to those two verses I just read to you, there is a serious expectation that we do the best with what we are and with what we have. The, be- the benefits of a vegetarian lifestyle are fourfold. Firstly, the individual benefits by having a longer, happier, healthier life. And there have been multiple studies done on communities of Seventh-day Adventists, and each concludes that Seventh-day Adventists live, on average, from seven to ten years longer than the general population and that they suffer far less from cancers, heart disease, and other lifestyle diseases. Not only that, but Seventh-day Adventists tend to remain active and involved for a much longer time. The second benefit is to the community. Because Seventh-day Adventists are generally healthier than most, there is a greatly decreased drain on community health-related resources. And because vegetarians are healthier and more active, they contribute more to society over a longer period of time. The third benefit is to the environment. Plants, unlike animals, do not emit greenhouse gases. By having a plant-based diet, Vegetarians are not responsible for those gases that are understood to cause global warming. Studies have shown that cattle are responsible for huge quantities of greenhouse gases, including methane and carbon dioxide, considered the main contributors to global warming, even more than motor vehicles. When people consume plant-based foods instead, they are responsible for absorption of some of those greenhouse gases, thus reversing the trend. The fourth benefit is to our Maker, God. By following the original plant-based diet God gave to our first parents at creation, we show that we trust and value Him. In that, we are witnesses to His integrity and laws. Although not exclusively, a faithful Seventh-day Adventist will, in addition to being a vegetarian, abstain from smoking, which is well known to be extremely harmful to health. He or she would not uh, consume alcohol, which is also harmful, and will probably not drink tea or coffee, both of which contain caffeine, a milder yet also harmful drug. What? No alcohol? No meat? Surely the Seventh-day Adventist lifestyle must be boring. 
My dear listeners, I want to tell you from personal experience that you can have fun without alcohol. And it's liberating not to be a slave to smoking. And it's a pleasure to live without disease brought on by bad lifestyle practices. And it's wonderful to be alive and enjoying life instead of dying prematurely because of cancer, stroke, heart disease or something else like that. No, instead of being weird, the lifestyle lived and promoted by Seventh-day Adventists makes extremely good sense. And Seventh-day Adventists have been world leaders in promoting a healthy lifestyle. Much of this has been due to the guidance given to the church by Ellen G. White. In the early years, she promoted what was known as health reform. But it didn't stop there. In addition to making efforts to care for ourselves, provision was made for helping others who've been afflicted by disease and other maladies. To care for others, the church currently operates 116 major hospitals around the world and over 2,300 health clinics and other treatment centres. Here, in our country, the Sydney Adventist Hospital is one of the most advanced leading hospitals in Australia. It has an extremely high reputation and is owned and run by the Seventh-day Adventist Church and has amongst its present and past patients many high-profile people. The church also owns and operates what is known as the Sanitarium Health Food Company, producing nourishing plant-based foods that promote rather than destroy health. Smaller sanitarium state operations in Australia have recently been consolidated into one huge factory located at Berkeley Vale in New South Wales. You know, I've heard it said those Adventists are strange. They don't eat meat. Of course, that's not exclusively the case. But generally, Adventists are vegetarians. In view of the evidence available today, to be vegetarian is a definite advantage. And over two and a half million Australians are vegetarians. Personally, I find it strange that the general population of our country ignores the evidence that they can enjoy longer, healthier, happier lives by adopting the lifestyle most Adventists enjoy as normal. The final distinctive I'll deal with today is about judgment. Seventh-day Adventists believe every individual is accountable to God for how they live. That's because God is our Creator. And this is totally opposite the worldly view of, ah, it's my life, I'll do with it whatever I want. There are enough warnings in the Bible that what we do with our lives is to our eternal benefit or detriment. There are consequences. Second Corinthians 5.10 has this warning. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in the body 
according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Yes, everyone has been given the choice of how he or she lives, but there are consequences one way or the other. God is all-knowing and is aware of how we live and knows all our deeds, whether good or bad. They are kept on record. There is a time when God reviews our lives to make judgment. Revelation chapter 20 verse 12 explains. The Apostle John wrote about the vision he received and said, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. But God has a special book, called the book of life, referred to in Revelation 3, verses 5 and 6. This is the record of those who, despite their past mistakes, accepted Jesus' sacrificial atonement for them. They will have a free pass to eternal life. It is, as is recorded in John 3.18, for whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. condemned. There is no fear of God's judgment for those who've accepted Christ's selfless sacrifice. Yes, Seventh-day Adventists do have some distinctive beliefs, but those beliefs are totally in line with what the Bible teaches. You know, it would be really good if Seventh-day Adventists were not known as the people who don't eat meat, but were known instead as loving and lovable, faithful Christians whose hope is in the Lord. Ah, before I stop today, we still have some of those little books for you, your friends the Adventists. May God bless you richly.